This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. Well, there is no test cricket to talk about, but plenty of exciting games as the T20 World Cup keeps throwing a bunch of wonderful games. And uh, as cricket fans, we are still very excited to talk about it. To help me unpack all of this amazing cricket that's been going on in the last week or so, welcome to the Armchair Cricket Podcast for the first time, Tawhid Abdul. cricket writer who specializes in bangladesh cricket hello tohit welcome to the podcast hi ajay great to be on thanks for uh, thanks for having me the pleasure is all mine in this podcast i like to have uh, as many people with different backgrounds uh, different expertise as possible so that we get you know a balanced view of how things are going on out there so i think you are you are the second or the third bangladeshi uh, specialist or bangladeshi cricket specialist who sort of graced our podcast in the last year or so and um before we get into the games of the world cup from the last week or so i would like to understand what got you to cricket what's keeping you there yeah it's a it's a good question i suppose you know without giving away my age um a a a long while ago now yeah i suppose essentially it was my family i've got a, a brother who's who's a few years older than me and my my dad who kind of got me into the game just through endless kind of sort of school summer holidays of uh yeah just being at home and just you know invariably the tv would be on and there'd be mm. a, a test series between england and whoever was touring that summer so i guess it was it was kind of a process of indoctrination maybe or osmosis whichever whichever way you want to look at it but yeah kind of just got into the game uh through through them really and i guess yeah through sort of childhood kind of just became hooked on i i guess i've always been a little bit geeky in in many ways and i i think you know cricket certainly appeals to to uh you know i'm not saying this in a disparaging way but i think you know cricket appeals to a certain uh, a certain geekiness within everyone just you know you've just got to look at the um all the stats on the game or the constant kind of uh, data that that's actually more available now than than it ever was so you know mm. that side of the game's always kind of uh, interested me but you know over and above that yeah just you know there's there's just nothing better for me anyway than just watching a cricket match it can be absolutely any cricket match as well i love going to as many cricket matches as i can over the the english summer and you know right from county cricket you know up to sort of international games and sort of club cricket as well and I'm, i'm still involved in a in a couple of clubs uh in in london where i live um and also in the winter months i try to to go to bangladesh and and or have a sort of countries to to watch uh, cricket abroad which is also uh, uh amazing fun wow okay so if i may ask do you still play these days 
I I play less and less. Uh, I certainly watch more than I play these days. Yeah, I uh, I mean I'm still you know eager. I still enjoy uh, turning out for for the the club that I regularly play for. Um, but yeah, it's 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 kind of. I don't know, a bit of a time commitment, isn't it? Certainly when you play cricket. I mean, we actually normally play 20 over cricket, but even that mm. sort of takes up a good sort of four or five hours of your day. So, yeah. Yeah, clear enough. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. As you get a little older, there are other commitments you're uh, you know, sort of looking yeah. at. And you might not have the same amount of time or the same kind of time you might want to give to uh, cricket. So, but good to hear. And good to hear you also travel uh, when possible in uh, the winter months. I mean, I'm sure it's nice to go to a warmer climb uh, when it's... Uh, winter is not very uh, nice sometimes in the UK. No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we, we were talking off air, weren't we, that British summertime has now ended. So we're in uh, British winter time as, <laughs> of ye- as of yesterday, which means that basically by about sort of 4.30 pm it's it's basically dark outside and uh mm. yeah it, it, it kind of gets colder and colder as as the uh the months go on so yeah no you're right it's always nice to 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 go somewhere hot and sunny and uh watch cricket absolutely so bangladesh cricket let's uh start there with the world cup games so basically if we look back at uh the game from last monday uh, you know, a crucial game between Bangladesh and Netherlands. So, Bangladesh won this game quite comfortably. For them, this was the first game of the group matches and it was important that they got off to a good start. And they did that, thanks to some um, good good hitting from Afif Hussain. I think I count a lot on this guy, Afif and Mossadegh, Nurul, Yasir Ali, even coming years, right? So, these are the new kids on the block as far as Bangladesh are concerned. And when it comes to bowling as well, you know, Hassan Mahmood, I think he has a good way to go. But uh, Swamya Sarkar has, the, has been there or thereabouts. Moshadik again can bowl. So, when you look at Bangladesh's performance so far in the World Cup, they started well, right? And then there was some ta- lot of talk uh, when before they played South Africa, but they couldn't really get to it. So, first of all, what do you think of Bangladesh's uh, performance so far? Yeah, the performances so far, they've been patchy, I guess, is, is kind of the best way to describe so I guess, yeah, mm. going back to that Netherlands game, first of all, I'd say, yeah, it was a scrappy win. Um, what was the margin of victory? Yeah, nine runs. I think, yeah, that, that's, you know, if if Bangladesh had, mm. had kind of played to their potential, you know, they, they should have won that game a bit more comfortably. I think the, the, the issues in terms of the weaknesses in the team, uh, certainly kind of centre around the batting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, well, taking a step back from that, I mean, Bangladesh have have traditionally haven't been great at, at T20 cricket. It's kind of the least, the, the format where they've basically performed the least well, although, you know, their test cricket as well recently has, hasn't been great either. But, you know, 50 over cricket by all accounts is kind of where their their strength lies so yeah they've they've never had a mm. huge kind of track record of of doing well consistently in t20 cricket so you know as as things stand i'd say sort of expectations going into the world cup were pretty low but that said you know they would have expected to beat the netherlands which 
which they did. But I think, you know, that was probably more to do with the bowling performance uh, rather than the batting performance. And as you say, yeah, there's there's a, a, a number of batters in, in the middle order there who, yeah, are, are fairly young, who are fairly inexperienced. And, yeah, you picked out Afif Hussein, who I would... I've, I kind of said this before the tournament. He had a good, he had a good Asia Cup. He had a good, um, you know, a good few months leading into the tournament. And um, I think, you know, really he's a sort of player that they need to base their sort of, certainly their batting around in the future. I think he kind of needs to be the focal point um, going, going forward. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's good to see, him, um, I think you know he's been coming in at number five, hasn't he? Which I think, to be honest, he could probably come in. I would like to, like I say, I think in the future he will come in at sort of even number four or maybe even number three because I think he's the type of player who who should be able to bat for like at least ten overs and uh, really kind of try to mm -hmm. dictate the innings. Um, so, so yeah, overall, I'd say. Yeah, it's been patchy. I think the bowling has has kind of stood up fairly well, apart from I'm sure we'll go on to it. You know, they 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 met an absolutely red hot Riley Rousseau when they played South Africa along mm -hmm. with uh, Quinton Zakarkin. And yeah, as much as you know, I don't like to blame bowlers too much. Certainly not in T20 cricket because you know, let's face it, it's a batsman's game. That the ball is. Is always pretty hard. There's, you know, fielding restrictions uh, for the first six overs of the game, and you know, even even the best bowler can be sort of taken apart quite quite easily if if you know a batsman's really uh, on song. So, I would say you know that was an exceptional innings uh, and partnership between Russo and uh, and Dukak and yeah Tuscan Ahmed who who had bowled. And actually has been bowling really well. I think I'm not sure if he still is, but after uh, as of yesterday, he was the the leading uh, wicket taker in the Super 12 uh, phase of the tournament. He I still think is. he still is. Yeah, so I think he still is. So he picked yeah. up four wickets in the Netherlands game, but then you know got absolutely taken apart by Riley Rousseau. I think uh, in his second over in that game. Actually, he took a wicket. He took Temba mm -hmm. Bavuma's wicket in the first over. Um, I mean, yeah, you uh -huh. might say that that's, that's a bit of a... Uh, well, I remember during the game, lots of Bangladesh fans were saying that's an error because, you know, you want, you want Temba Bavuma chewing up as many balls uh, without scoring many runs as possible. But he picked up Temba Bavuma's wicket in his first over. Uh, for not, and um, you know, he didn't he didn't concede many runs in that over, but then uh, Riley Russo really got stuck into him in his second over. I think he went for 21 runs, and that was still in the power play. And then, yeah, he never really kind of regained regained his kind of composure from that, really. And um, as I say, you know, I don't I don't sort of put too much blame on him or the other the but the other bowlers because it was exceptional kind of hitting from Riley Rousseau. He was making some of those kind of, um, particularly some of the straight boundaries, some of the straight sixes that he was hitting. He really made them look pretty effortless. 
Um, and so, yeah, that, that contributed to, to a big uh, South Africa uh, total, 204, I think they ended up with. And actually, even then, mm. if, you, mm. if you look at that, that innings, the, the bowlers did drag it back significantly. I think in the last five overs, they conceded, I think it was 29 runs, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, you look at sort of overs, probably from a between... 16 knots. Yeah, well, I was saying before that, I think the damage was done kind of between overs three and 15, which is which ah, is when, you know, right. that, that de Kock and uh, Rousseau partnership was, was really, uh, uh, you know, on song. Uh, but either side of that, you know, the bowlers did pretty well. And then, yeah, moving on to kind of yesterday's game against uh, Zimbabwe again the bowlers mm -hmm. did pretty well to defend another pretty kind of uh medium target i would say 151 the uh, zimbabweans were chasing Correct. and uh, only narrowly uh failed uh to to get that target and uh yeah the, the bangladesh bowlers had a, a big part to play in that I thought it was a real, real, you know, entertainer. It was a real close game. And I, the last ball, there was a bit of drama where, uh, you know, you did not expect this fight to actually happen where um, Mossadik had bowled a no ball and had to uh, bowl Absolutely, it Absolutely, yeah. Right? I mean, I, I, but, I wrote I wrote about this yesterday. And, uh, yeah, no, you're right. It was, it was a really, yeah, it was a fascinating game. I know sort of some people say, oh, it's kind of, a little bit low quality cricket on both sides. You know, there were some sort of drop catches by Zimbabwe in the field and, and you know, some of the, the batting wasn't the greatest on both sides. But, you know, for me, sometimes that, you know, flawed, two flawed teams kind of make the best uh, entertaining games. And yeah, like you say, that proved to be a, an absolute thriller. Went down to the last over and indeed the last ball. But, Again, um, I felt the Bangladesh, yeah, they won the game. What was it? Three runs, the, the margin of victory in the end. But mm -hmm. again, they should have won that a bit more comfortably. One thing that I would say that, that I have, um, you know, not been too happy about is, is kind of the balance of the team, the balance of the, the team that they've been picking uh, so far in the tournament. So in the first game against the Netherlands, they picked eight uh, batters, essentially, and only sort of three frontline mm -hmm. bowlers. And then you've got the, uh, you know, the, the all-rounding spin from Shakib. Um, and then, so, yeah, I thought, to be honest, in, in somewhere like Australia, I think you need kind of four frontline bowling options to really... Kind of give you that that extra that extra bowling option. Certainly, you know when it comes to the death, when you you're looking at kind of maximizing your your bowling resources as much as possible. And if you have those extra options, I think it, it helps no end. So, what what what's actually happened in that Netherlands game and against uh, Zimbabwe? Bangladesh have just played the eight. Uh, well, they've played eight batters, three frontline bowlers, which means that in those death overs, they've really struggled for that fifth bowling option. Um, so that is why we saw yesterday Mossadegh, uh, like you say, bowling that that kind of last over of the match, whereby uh, and at that, so basically both Tuskin and Mustafiz had bowled out 
uh, you know, their allocations were bowled out uh, by the 17th over. So there were three overs still remaining where uh, Hassan Mahmoud bowled one, Shakib bowled the penultimate over, and then Musadek bowled the last over. So it was a bit of a gamble to, to basically end the game with, uh, you know, without your best bowlers bowling, essentially, which is Tuskin and, and Mustafi. So, yeah, I think the balance of the team, and then, you know, something similar happened um, in the, the Netherlands game where uh, Saka, Saka was actually, uh, ended up bowling that last over. So, so yeah, the yes. balance of the team, I think, needs to be addressed. And as I say, I would like to see four frontline bowlers. I think you can sacrifice a batter um, somewhere in that in that middle order. I think Yasir Yasir Ali uh, was actually he. So in that game against South Africa, they did play an extra bowler, but he was a spinning. He was a spinner, so it was uh, Mehdi uh, Hassan Miraj who who played that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would actually like to see an extra pacer, an extra fast bowler being picked. Uh, if we're looking at the next game against India uh, that takes place, I would like to see four, four quick bowlers. Um, and then, you know, you've still got the, uh, the, the, the spin bowling from Shakib. You would always expect him to bowl four overs. But, but actually, this is an, another trend that we've seen so far. Shakib's bowling has actually been, uh, for his high standards anyway, a little bit under par. He hasn't. Mm-hmm. He hasn't looked uh, totally comfortable with the ball in hand. Um, he did take a couple of wickets against South Africa, but that was really. So he actually held himself back. He only came into bowl. I think it was in the eleventh over, where, where normally you know you're, we're quite used to him bowling in the power play over. Certainly, mm-hmm. you know when they're playing in in Asia or, or or back home in Bangladesh, but he's really been sort of holding himself back. He didn't bowl in the power play yesterday either against Zimbabwe and he hasn't uh he didn't finish his allocation uh his full allocation as well so you know there's a couple of issues with his Mm. bowling and you know you uh he's he's such a an important player for Bangladesh they've really sort of pinned their their hopes on him and you know he's a fascinating character I think um I've written about him a lot he he really does sort of divide opinion and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I guess that that counts uh, uh, in terms of my view of him as well. I, you know, I, I'm kind of a little bit split. I think for all the good stuff that he does, there are some sort of questionable things that that he does, either on or off the field. Um, and yeah, I, I think you know, focusing on this tournament in particular, I think his. So, like I say, he's he's really gambled a little bit on on the uh, the fifth bowling option, um, and yeah, I'm I'm not convinced that you know his his strategy and his tactics um, in in terms of T20 cricket are are totally um, kind of watertight. But uh, you know, again, having said that, and he hasn't really it's it's been interesting because he actually had a good 
lead up to the to the World Cup in terms of his own batting. So there was a try series that took place in New Zealand just before the World Cup between Bangladesh, Pakistan, and New Zealand. He scored a couple mm-hmm. of seventies uh, in that series. Uh, so going into the the World Cup, he was in decent kind of form with the bat, but he hasn't. Uh, yeah, he hasn't really got many runs at all. I think he got twenty odd yesterday. Um, but then you know he he does still have the the ability to affect um, or influence a, a game. So yesterday there was this spectacular run out of uh, of Sean Williams. Yeah, absolutely. It was, there you go. <laughs> I was about to get to that. You know, I think that was the point where Bangladesh began to believe they can win the game because the momentum was so heavily with Zimbabwe. and their captain sean williams playing such a nice innings right he was going from strength to strength and i thought that was like uh, shakib rolling back the years sort of getting the wicket all by himself where he threw himself at the ball and even as he was falling away he threw the stumps down right for me that was a fantastic move the other thing um look just to go back to address one of your points i was surprised saifuddin could not make into the squad So correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Saifuddin is anymore in the squad because he would have provided you that sort of uh, balance because he's a fast bowling all rounder, right? I thought somebody like him could have been uh, a good fit as far as this sort of playing conditions. Look, Bangladesh are good when it comes to Asian playing conditions, but when they're playing outside, I thought they regressed a little in the last couple of years because uh, they did really well for themselves in the World Cup previously when they played in Australia, right? and also in england so from that point on i think they regressed just a little in their um, probably selections and also thought process where they're again very heavily spin dependent as you said right so but i would have seen people like somya sarkar and saifuddin sort of get a little bit of a more of a go because they would be really really handy in these conditions yeah right so that's one point the other one for me i wanted to also ask you this anyway how much do you think shridhar shridhar and shriraman's coaching is taking an impact on the way bangladesh are playing their cricket currently because you you were saying you know maybe they have they have they have really not been up to scratch and they have been you know their performances are not always consistent so is this also you saw during the for example during the qualifier shakib batting a bit low in one of the games in that game against south africa even though they were under heavily heavy onslaught he did not bring himself on he kept himself back right i mean they did really well at the back end but probably the horse had already bolted by then you mm-hmm. know if i look at it that way and so on so my question to you is how much of a impact do you think that thought process that shridhar and shriraman brings in is helping uh, because at least from an outside in perspective i think he has a different thought process whereas bangladesh cricket has come to be what it is with a different thought process how much of it do you think is hurting them or is it really helping them and something long run that it's going to pan out Yeah, I mean, you've made a couple of really good points there. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll talk about Saifuddin very quickly, and then uh, Coach Shriram. Um, so, yeah, Saifuddin, he did play in a few games in the lead up to the World Cup. I think he played in the Tri Series, if I'm not mistaken. He played. He played. Yes. Yeah, I think I he think did, he and did. I think he played a little bit in the Asia Cup as well. Um, but yeah it you know looking at those performances they weren't they weren't great at all and he i'm you know he's always been someone who's kind of been in and out of the team due to injury 
And you're right, because he potentially he he could solve so many questions uh so or so many problems that uh that, that bangladesh have in terms of you know they they don't possess a genuine kind of uh quick bowling all-rounder and that would solve so many problems but yeah his form and i think his fitness basically just haven't been up to scratch which is why uh he he ah. wasn't included uh in the world cup squad um Mm-hmm. But and then yeah, going back to to what you're saying about Coach Sriram, actually he's not he's not a coach. So yeah, this is an interesting. So I mean yeah, the whole thing is quite interesting. So he was actually his post. <laughs> uh, he was installed just quite shortly before the uh, the Asia Cup, so he didn't really have much time. Yes, uh, I don't think he had much time at all to kind of kind of prepare. Uh, I think he was uh, purely a T20 yes. coach. But only for the T20 That's right. team. So yeah, so he's right. been installed uh, just for for the World Cup. So Russell Domingo is still the. Um, I'm not sure actually if he's the 50. If he's looking after the 50 over uh, stuff as well. But Russell Domingo is basically still the red ball. The still the Test coach, um, and so Sriram right. is. So his his official position is technical consultant. Uh, which is, yeah, which, you know, it's one of these funny things where the BCB, I think, have basically given him a title that, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't tread on anyone else's toes. Um, but, yeah, to, to answer your mm, question mm. in terms of, you know, his vision and has he kind of been able to to kind of imprint that on the team, I'd say it's... It's very much early days. Um, I'd say that his 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 kind of um, his reign, if you like, has so far been characterized by a lot of experimentation. Actually, so going into the World Cup, and even you know, I was I would argue even these sort of the first couple of games in the World Cup, or the, even the first three games in the World Cup, I'm still not convinced that he's sure. That he knows what his best eleven is, um, and mm-hmm. so one of the big things that he's experimented with, which I know has has kind of been met with some criticism back in Bangladesh, is around Liton Das and his bat his batting right. position. So Liton Das, actually, if you look over the sort of last two years, certainly in Red Bull cricket. And increasingly so in sort of white ball formats, you know, over the last two years, he's probably been Bangladesh's most consistent performer. And in white ball cricket, mm. uh, you know, he he basically, so in ODIs, he opens the innings. In T20 cricket, for the most part, I'm fairly certain that, you know, he's he's he spent most of his time at the top of the order. However, what coach, uh, I keep calling him coach, I'll just call him uh, Sriram, what he's done is is uh, <laughs> put him in at number three. So he's, you know, basically put Liton Das in at number three and he's really experimented with lots of different combinations of openers. Um, and, you know, the criticism has been that a lot of those combinations haven't really worked particularly well. And at the same time, 
there's a sense that Litton Das himself has kind of been a little bit unsettled by the move to number three. So he as well hasn't hasn't been scoring as many runs that you know you would expect him to score. So that sort of experimentation has has kind of uh, been met with um, yeah with a little bit of criticism, I'd say. Other than that, in terms of his vision, it's a little bit difficult, I would say, to to exactly understand what that is. I was in a uh, a press conference with him the other day. I think it was after the South Africa game, so I joined just just via Zoom. And mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. he was being a little bit defensive. I mean, obviously, his team had had kind of. Uh, experienced a heavy defeat against uh, South Africa. I think it was a hundred. Did they lose by one hundred and four runs or some, something of that of that nature? So it's a big loss, and yeah, yeah so plus you know plus. you would expect him to be a bit defensive. Well, you would expect him to to defend his uh, team, which he did. But yeah, he was being a little bit a little bit defensive, a little bit prickly around some of these. Uh, talking points such as you know the the batting order at the top, um, but yeah, I think I think what I would say is you know one positive trend that's emerged, and actually a positive trend that's emerged kind of even before uh, Sri Ram was in was in post is actually the development of you know the uh, the fast bowling unit in Bangladesh's team. So uh, it's interesting what you were saying. I think uh, earlier about, you know, that they've kind of regressed a little bit and have relied on, you know, spinning wickets back home. I think, yeah, you're right. They Certainly they had a couple of uh, T20 series uh, against uh, New Zealand and Australia last year. I think it was around about September last year, where they they beat they beat both mm. New Zealand and Australia in those series, which was you know quite a achievement. But you know the wickets that they played on were really uh, pretty. They came under a bit of fire. I remember this. Yes. Yeah, the the wickets were basically you know low low turners, like you say. They were they were they were wickets that you would not find anywhere else in the world, basically. Um, so. Um, right. So that has kind of happened, but still in the background, what we've seen is that, you know, there, there's been a renewed emphasis on trying to develop fast bowlers, which is why, you know, they've invested or the BCB have kind of invested a lot in in kind of uh, specialist coaches. So Alan Donald's in place now. Previously, Otis Gibson, who... Uh, was the you know he's he's coached he bowling was coach. a bowling coach yeah. and you know yeah. he's he's coached lots of international yeah. teams and even prior to that back in 2019 it was uh, Courtney Walsh who was looking after the fast bowlers so you know they've invested a bit of time yeah. a bit of money into that and it's starting to really kind of reap rewards so most obviously Tuscan Ahmed has really shone in the last well certainly in this tournament which is really good to see and also you know he's mm-hmm. he's he's had a really good kind of six to 12 months as well I would say across formats as well not not just in mm-hmm. uh, white ball cricket and uh along with him you know there's there's sort of younger guys like Shoraful uh Shoraful Islam who 
Um, again, a young, quick left left armer. He won the Under-19 World Cup with Bangladesh a couple of years ago in South Africa, and he's really kind of uh, risen quite quickly through the ranks. Again, very young, very raw, lots of learning uh, that still needs to be done, but, you know, there's, there's some good potential there. And then the other one who I think uh, is in... Well, was on a lot of people's radars was is Ebedot. So Ebedot Hussein, who uh, you know, basically bowled Bangladesh to a famous victory against New Zealand uh, right at the start of the right at the oh, very yes. start of the year, which was a fantastic way for for uh, for Bangladesh to, mm-hmm. to start with a you know a Test victory against um, against the uh, the World Test champions at that point, and so. You know, Ebedot as well, he's just started to play more and more sort of white ball cricket. So again, someone who's who's kind of developing all the time. So yeah, that's that's one thing to be excited about. And I think, you know, uh Sriram has has kind of, you know, is is utilizing that that fast bowling unit as much as possible. But I think the real, you know, the real um sort of breakthrough would be, you know, if Bangladesh did play four fast bowlers against uh, India, because that's something that is really not in keeping with their kind of cricketing traditions mm. at all. It, it would really be a, a, a breakthrough moment. And uh, yeah, something I, I would like to see. Right, right, right. So coming back, so we also had another game where, you know, uh, Bangladesh, uh, they had a bad game against uh, uh, South Africa, but they bounced back, right? They beat Zimbabwe. And it was a tightly contested game, but, you know, that way they have a decent decent uh, result going into that game against India. So if you were to look forward to that game against India, you sort of already made a prediction. You'll want to see four fast bowlers, right? But how do you see the game panning out? Yeah, I mean, we yeah, uh Obviously, India will be favourites to win that. And if you look at how sort of, you know, India's tournament has gone so far and, you know, the way that other results have gone so far as well, it's actually a really crucial mm-hmm. game for for both teams, really. I mean, it's, Absolutely. it's a bit of yes. a cliche that, you know, all the Super 12 games seem to be like do or die games. But this really, <laughs> I would say that this really is a right. do or die game for both teams. Because I think, you know, if you look at the the points table in that group, I think getting to six points, I don't think is enough to mm-hmm. to get you through to the, uh, the, the semifinals. I think you need at least... Seven points. Seven. Exactly. Yes. So yes. so both teams yes. currently on on four points. Uh India with a with a much more sort of superior net run rate. Um but yeah, you know, I think India will will obviously be favourites to win that. I think one thing in Bangladesh's favour, you know, if you're looking at the strengths and weaknesses of, of, of both teams, I suppose in particular for Bangladesh, you know, the, the, the bowling has been their strength. So the, the two games that they've won has been uh, where they've defended fairly kind of mediocre sort of total. So, you know, if Bangladesh do win the toss, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of put themselves into bat, try to get to that sort of 150, 160 
uh, kind of total and then hope that their uh, that their bowling unit really has a, a you know a good power play firstly and you know just just puts the uh, the indian batters under pressure because you know as we've seen yeah india obviously winning one close game i know you talked about this previously but you know it was it was a, it was a very mm-hmm. close one wasn't it against pakistan could have easily could have easily gone the other way if i were to talk only about india yeah. for a second i think they have lost a close game and they should have lost the first close game as well um the result show something else but i don't think india have had a great mm. world cup right so the only really easy game they had was against the netherlands which they won comfortably but that match against pakistan they didn't do all that well but they got home thanks to the genius of one mm. individual and then yesterday that didn't materialize so they put a lot of uh, pressure on south africa in the first half of south africa's batting innings but that, that was not enough once miller took over right um there you go so for me i think india will have a point to prove when they meet bangladesh so if you look at if you look at the team's chances right so india are in a slightly better position simply because they have if i may call it this two easier opponents compared mm. to what bangladesh yeah. have bangladesh will play both their uh, neighbors or one of their neighbors and one of their former uh, friends. Mm. So it will be a bit tough. Uh, but in theory, all three teams can actually finish on equal number of points and it's going to be a bit of a toss-up with Netron, right? Yeah. Right? So there, at least Pakistan will hope India lose one more game. But if India win both these two games, it's more or less guaranteed that India will go through. Right? And it will be... um then it will probably be uh, difficult because so there's also a game within a game here yeah. right so whichever teams finish in the top 4 in each of these two groups will not need to then play or are considered automatically qualified for the next world cup yeah that's something that you know the teams will yeah. also remember south africa having beaten india and having easier games in hand will probably easily make mm-hmm. it they are more or less guaranteed to make seven points out of the remaining yeah. two games india will want to go into the semi final if possible with a strong finish so they'll want to win both their remaining games right so and that's very likely because yeah. it's bangladesh and zimbabwe yeah. um there if you look at it i think bangladesh have the task cut out so they have to start by beating yeah. india with that confidence i have a feeling they can also steamroll pakistan mm-hmm. but then you know uh, both the teams in this group especially pakistan they they are specifically good under pressure and the pressure has been building up nicely on them now so i expect the remaining matches will be real corkers uh, for group 2 right? yeah so if you were to quickly take the focus off bangladesh mm. for a second and take a look at some of the other crackers that we really yeah. saw in this um, week so i mean it would be unjust if we did not talk about the zimbabwe pakistan game right uh, what a game did you get a chance to see this game uh, i did yeah no i saw the uh, i saw most of that game and yeah i did a did a podcast myself after that game speaking to uh, a zimbabwe uh, cricket writer and yeah mm-hmm. i mean what what a story zimbabwe have been you know uh, in right. this world cup obviously you know that that loss against bangladesh has kind of taken the shine off things a little bit but i mean the, i i think for me it's it's not just the fact that they won such a a close game against pakistan you know it was a game that to all intents and purposes you know how pakistan mm-hmm. didn't manage to score what was it three three runs off three balls 
um, <laughs> last um, yes, yes. was was quite amazing and you know that last over by brad evans i think was was really really impressive for someone so so, yeah, so inexperienced and so young um but yeah the thing that i you know i think that this zimbabwe team has done is actually captured the imagination of a lot of people just by the way they play their cricket the fans uh that that you see in the, not only in the stadium but i've seen lots of sort of social media clips of their fans celebrating back in harare back in zimbabwe and they really have kind of i feel sort of captured the imagination of a lot of kind of you know neutral cricket lovers um and you mm-hmm. know for me certainly they they've kind of become my sort of second favorite team in the in this world cup but but yeah i mean what what a game it was it was really there for 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 pakistan to to win you know again not chasing a huge total um they you know yeah they didn't get off to the best start in that chase but then looked like shan masood had kind of steadied the ship and had kind of um brought things back into their favor um and yeah i mean again what can i say fantastic death bowling fantastic um yeah just fighting spirit from from zimbabwe really they just believed they could win this you know even with even with uh, a relative newcomer like uh, uh, brad evans having to bowl the last over his captain trusted him sikandar raza really brought zimbabwe back into mm. the game with those wickets of haider ali shadab khan really yeah. and then to have shan masood stumped yeah. right those three were yeah. really really crucial blows mohammad namaz was there and look we he's had a bit of a low a trough yeah. in the last couple of games for pakistan but he's still a very valuable cricketer and three out of three having brought them back and through that very good partnership with mohammad wasim you think they were a bit unlucky as well towards the end where uh, that lofted shot went straight into mid off hands yeah. and then otherwise it could have been just as well over you know mm. the game could have been over and there i think it was as you say they had they just had enough in the tank zimbabwe to get across the line mm. kudos to them i'm really backing that they they have a couple of tough games coming up yeah. right uh, so i'm really hoping they get at least one of the results their way and maybe they cause some some little bit of uh, you know uh, changes to the calculations of all yeah. of us yeah you know? the way things stand you would expect south africa india but then you know if zimbabwe win at least one more game and maybe punos going into the last game something mm. wonderful is still possible right that that defeat against bangladesh would really really rankle zimbabwe mm. because they had given themselves a realistic chance of qualifying yeah. and now a lot of things have to go yeah. uh, their way and they have to play out of their yeah. skin to actually qualify this is from one group when you look at the other group the other cracker of a game england ireland um again did you get a chance to watch this one yes yeah i was uh i watched most of that game as well it was so yeah obviously watching the games here in the uk a lot of them so a lot of them have been you know very early morning starts so certainly all the bangladesh games have been like 3 a.m or 4 a.m start so mm-hmm. yeah feeling a little bit uh, still feel like i'm catching up on my sleep a little bit but fortunately the uh, <laughs> the the england island game was uh, i think it was a, a better start time it was a uh, easier to watch that one so yeah no watch that and yeah obviously rain affected game wasn't it and which are always you know sometimes difficult to uh 
to manage. But having mm. said that, you know, for, for a team of England's experience, I was kind of a little bit surprised. I don't know. They just seemed a little bit kind of lethargic, a little bit. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they were never – they for, for a team like England – who, who can be so dominant and, you know, what I would really like them to have done or like to have seen them do is to have really kind of uh, try to kind of imprint their, their, you know, stamp their authority on the game from the very start. But yeah, they didn't do that. They let, they let uh, Ireland get to, again, what, you know, it's quite interesting. Some of these kind of mediocre 160-ish totals, are actually seem to be enough to to win a lot of these games, and I I don't know. Interesting mm. to hear your thoughts. I think it's it's there's a few things at play. I think the batting in this World Cup maybe hasn't been as sort of good or as spectacular as as we might have expected. But also, I think the bowling in general has has actually been really good, and I think you know Australian pitches probably have helped and assisted a lot of the, the fast bowlers. But, um, yeah, and in this game, you know, the Irish bowlers bowled well. But, yeah, Ireland managed to get to to that sort of mediocre kind of total, uh, putting on a target of 158. Um, and, yeah, the England bowlers, they, they kind of did okay. Mark Wood, the pick there, took uh, three, three wickets for 34 runs. Uh, good to see mm. him kind of firing on all cylinders because I think if England are to, to kind of go deep in this World Cup and, and do well, he's going to be a, a key a key figure. Um, but yeah, like I say, in, right. in reply, it was a DLS-adjusted total, wasn't it? And I think it was probably adjusted more than once because I know they they, they kind of <laughs> went on and off even even when they got the game back on um right. so yeah it's always a bit tricky obviously in those situations but you would think that you know the team batting second has a bit of an advantage because you know they they kind of know what the target is even if it is a a bit of a moving target but yeah the the batting just didn't didn't really click i think um it, yeah, the likes of yeah, Butler Hales didn't didn't really do anything. Milan, mm-hmm. yeah. So David Milan is is again someone who kind of really does divide opinion. I would say amongst England supporters, he's he's an interesting figure. I think he did really well in the last T Twenty World Cup, but he's he's always someone that you know people seem to characterise him with with someone who hasn't got a particularly good strike. So, I mm. I think in you know in crucial situations where you'd like to sort of see someone striking above one twenty, you know one thirty, one forty, um, he certainly didn't do that against uh, against Ireland. Um, and yeah, he is someone who can sometimes get get you know take a little bit of time to get going, and that's certainly the case uh, in that in that run chase. And then yeah. You you know a lot of people were were thinking you know when Moen Ali came came into bat along with kind of Liam Livingstone that you know they would be capable of of um, getting get, getting those quick runs which which were needed but again the rain the rain intervened and yeah it it just wasn't to be they just fell short. 
So, you know, I mean, I think you're right. England batting never got going. A lot of credit to Josh Little, Mark Adair, the way they started off. Yes. Right? And I think sort of Milan held one end together for a long time, hoping that, you know, after 30 balls, you think uh, one or two big shots will mm. come off. But it, they didn't. Harry Brook couldn't get going. You know, between Stokes, Brook and Moin Ali, mm. you have, this is the the really powerful middle order that England can boast of. They ne- never really got going. Sort of Moin Ali, made it look England were close. I mean, if uh, an hour ago, if the game had ended, they would have lost by uh, 10 or 12 yeah. runs by the yeah. DLS, right? So, uh, this is one thing. And uh, that was, that was again, uh, such a surprise. And then, see, uh, probably Australia showed how it's done in the today's game, if you think of it. So, Australia batted first. Uh, with captain finally, belatedly, looks like he's mm. coming back to form, Aaron Finch. And then, their middle order really didn't get going. I mean, they had one big hit, one big hit, but Marcus Toynis again came good. But, you know, Finch was going good all the time on the other end. So, pressure was not really on. And they knew if the moment they crossed 150, 160, they had enough bowling to probably, you know, make sure this is not going to be chaseable. Yeah. And they did that in the first five hours, the game was almost settled. Mm. I mean, Ireland always, yeah. they fight back. In this case, it was the keeper, Lorcan Tucker, who made a lot of runs. Yeah, what a, what a fantastic innings that was. Yeah, Right? You could think if he had two tens. Two tens or two twelves supporting him, he may have taken them all the way or even very close, mm. right? But uh, that was not P. And I mean, you can also expect an attack like Australia's will not have multiple failures back to back, right? That 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 was how it came out. And uh, see, when I look back at your earlier question about the totals and how well the World Cup is going on, I think Australia pitches offers enough for both mm. both key skill sets, and even in bowling. Uh, it's not just the fast bowler. Spinners have been doing well. Shadab Khan has been doing well. Sri Lanka spinners have yeah. been doing well, right? India and Bangladesh spinners are sort of conspicuous by yeah. their absence, if anything, right? The, that that big guy, Rashid Khan, he's hardly got yeah. going. So outside of that, you would think spinners will also come into it as the tournament progresses, and the pitchers might get a bit tired, right? Which you expect in a World Cup, and then. Spinners would get more and more into it. But look, it's Australia. They'll always be good bounce. Yeah. We have seen multiple times 130s being defended, I think. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say as in the back end of the tournament, as the tournament goes on, I'm maybe even 145, 150 might be a very good total. Mm-hmm. Given the, the fielding is competent and the bowling spot on, That those might be very good games. So I'm looking forward to the rest of the tournament, really, for... I mean, this has provided a good balance between bat and ball, this tournament, yeah. right? There are no really, there are very few really one-sided games. And that's always good if you're a fan. And for me, that's the most important yeah, thing, definitely. sort of, you know, when you put together a tournament. So, those were all the games from the World Cup we wanted to discuss. Moving on, if you were to take a look at, uh, you know, some of these uh, news uh, stories from outside of the cricketing field. So, Simmons. Phil, Phil Simmons. Phil Simmons, big Phil. Yeah. So he's decided to, you know, call it quits as the coach of West Indian uh, team the second time. Uh, so it looks like the next upcoming uh, series against Australia will be their last or his last. And uh, do you think it was right? So I, I sort of felt his time had come as the leader uh, in this group of people. I, they probably needed some new thinking. I dare say they could benefit from getting somebody who might be from outside of this group to try and lead West Indies forward. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean... Obviously, but, you know, such a disappointing T20 World Cup. And actually, not just a 
disappointing T20 World Cup. Sort of this time round, you know, you look back to the last tournament as well. And, mm. you know, you're probably looking at the last year or two. They just, they, yeah, they, they, they haven't done certainly as well as, 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 uh, a team with with such talented individuals should have done. So obviously not not quali- qualifying for the Super Twelves. I guess someone was always going to have to sort of carry the can a little bit uh, in terms of you know being being blamed for the failure mm. in some respects. So yeah, from from that point of view, you might think he's been a bit unlucky to be to have been uh, to have been jettisoned. But at the same time, I think you're right. I think, you know, the team, I well, I think there's multiple issues, you know, if you dive kind of a bit more deeply into things. I think there are sort of lots of things going on behind the scenes in terms of the West Indies cricket board and, you know, all the different island uh, regions which which make up West Indies Cricket Board. I think there's lots of kind of issues and problems that need to be solved at, at that level as well. But yeah, I suppose you know the, the the most obvious thing in these situations is that the coach has to go, uh, and 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 that's kind of what's happened. Uh, it's almost like uh, what what we're used to seeing in kind of. Uh, the English Premiership, you know, if, uh, or indeed, mm-hmm. you know, with a with an international football team, if if the coach doesn't do very well in a tournament in a World Cup or something, then uh, then they end up having to go. We're starting to see to see that more and more in cricket, I guess. All right. But yeah, I think you know, as I say, I think there's lots of uh, issues and problems for West Indies crickets to to solve going forward, and. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no there's no kind of easy answers or easy solutions on the horizon. Look, I mean, I think he was made to fall on his forward, but I thought it was coming actually because mm. uh, there are not enough assertive leaders in the both in the dressing room as well as on the field for West Indian limited horse cricket. I think that's the problem why they're you know unable to get the sort of results that their talent and you know can sort of bring through. But um, let's see how it goes because at least they don't have too many captaincy options in the limited overs cricket anyway, unless they go back to somebody like Holder or something, right? So it's it's going to be interesting. At least the test team looks settled under Craig um, Brathwaite, and I'm looking forward to the series because you know um, the next Chandra, the next Chandra Paul, Tagnarain has yes. been chosen, and very highly likely he might actually open the batting with uh, Craig Brathwaite in the in this very Australia series that we spoke of. Yeah. So something something you expected maybe um, you know not very long ago we heard the two Chandra Pauls father and son batted together in a first class game. I mean this day and age you almost expect that's not at all possible, but it actually happened. So maybe I don't know if you followed his career and if you have any thoughts on him. I I I've kind of yeah I heard about that game where they they played together father and son. I mean all I would say is if he's kind of half as good as his his father then. You know he's he's going to be a fantastic prospect. I gather that yeah he's 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 kind of done well domestically, particularly with with in Red Bull cricket, which is kind of why he's got this uh, this opportunity. And I think actually, you know, if he does end up opening the batting with Craig Brathwaite, I mean, what a partnership that could be. Because for mm. me, you know, I've watched a lot of Craig Brathwaite in the last kind of year or. Also, because uh, Bangladesh have played West Indies both home and away in Test series, and you know 
what I think possibly one of the most underrated players in international cricket. He's just so, uh, you know, he, his game is just, it's quite simple, but it, it's, it's like he's got his whole game in, in such good order. Mm-hmm. Um, he provides such good kind of stability at the top of the order, which actually, if you look at lots of international teams at the moment, they, they don't have particularly, uh, good specialist opening batters. So, yeah, as I say, if Ch- Chandrapal Jr. can forge uh, uh, a good partnership with with Brathwaite, then I think the West Indies really have got a bright bright future in uh, in terms of Test cricket. Yeah, absolutely. So from that, I think if we move on, we have a couple of interesting revelations by former players who put out autobiographies. So I'm talking of Fafty Plessy as well as Akram. So if you go to the former, he sort of describes how his relationship with the newly appointed coach, Boucher, broke down. And therefore, he sort of uh, quit international test cricket at least. right? Do you think Do you think this is all sort of a revisionist history? or uh, Because you would expect sort of they come from a similar background. They have similar thought processes, maybe at least from the outside in. Uh, you, you would think Boucher and Faf would get along nicely. But that that was very interesting, right? So that um, to hear him say that you know he also did not have the backing of Graham's thesis, right? So does that surprise you at all? Um, to an extent, maybe. I mean, I know you know we we talked a little bit there about West Indies cricket and all the sort of behind the scenes uh, issues that they have. I mean, even more so with South African cricket, I would say over the last. You know, even over the last sort of ten years or so, there's been a huge amount of sort of goings on behind the scenes in terms of players, coaches, administrators, uh, not not kind of being happy with one another for for various reasons. Um, what I would say about Boucher specifically was is that, yeah, again, I I think he can be quite an abrasive figure. I'm just thinking about. You know some some of the other uh, incidents that have happened mm. over the last kind of year or two, where he's been head coach. Where right. you know I think he's been a little bit. So yeah, I think there were some sort of issues around the the BLM kind of taking the knee stance. Where mm-hmm. I don't think Boucher. Well, I think Boucher was basically conspicuous with his silence. So yeah, I think he can be an abrasive. Uh, figure so yeah it doesn't it doesn't kind of massively surprise me that there might have been some tensions between him and uh, Duplessis Um, and yeah I mean I haven't I haven't read the book at all I've I've just kind of uh, seen this uh, this this kind of particular story so Mm -hmm. so yeah it doesn't it doesn't surprise me massively I think there's there's always been lots of kind of behind the scenes issues with uh, with South African cricket. Absolutely. Now, but going forward, I think uh, they have to address this, maybe not make a captain feel really unwelcome. Your test captain or captain of any team is sort of yeah. also the focal point for many things in a culture where cricket is so important or is always, you know, given a high high position. Uh, but okay, this is one thing. But, you know, Fafti Plessy is such an experienced leader. He's captain teams all over the world, including IPL and so on. You would expect, yeah, maybe, you know, there's always more to a story than 
when both sides speak about it right so we only Actually, heard one side of the story yeah and for me the the, the bigger revelation was that there were some bullying allegations weren't there as well mm-hmm. uh, yeah. with daryl daryl cullinan which uh, yeah, this was this this goes back a while but yes yeah. it was it was interesting as well which i found kind of even more uh, kind of shocking in some ways yeah well i mean look there there is a little bit of a boyish culture or uh, boys will be boys culture mm. in certain teams certain places it's it's not completely not uh, it's not completely unheard of right not very long ago you had a clique of uh, you know uh, old world cricketers if i may call them that where uh, certain others in english team were not very comfortable yeah. around swan anderson and so on so yeah. uh, this exists these sort of cliques these sort of boys will be boys uh, club will exist but it's about sort of balancing it out see it's one part of their nature i feel that shows itself as this boys will be boys either you are with us or you are against a sort of a club it could lead to bullying or it could lead to you know groupism and so on but mm. it's that same nature that bring, that actually you know that they bring on the field and leads uh, them to bring victories to the team right so it's sort of getting a balance not just smoothing out the edges but not really taking away that aggression and that you know that culture that nature i know it it can sometimes spill over to being toxic mm. that's what i say it should not get into that zone yeah but still uh, try and keeping it sort of um aggressive but still polished i mean it's it's a tough it's a tough balance to achieve i understand what i'm asking is might be a bit much but it's something to aspire to mm. right and so on so now um, how you grow up how you think about these things or how you think about what is right and wrong is pretty much ingrained in you and some sometimes it's very tough to address after a certain age yeah still live and let live has to be there but you don't lose that um that aggression you don't become too timid so it's about achieving that balance and i think it's just a culture going through that change the way i look at south africa's dressing room potentially uh now it is more inclusive there are uh, also people from different backgrounds and uh, who all bring great skills and there are some exceptions we'll probably get into it if time is there but you know if you look at it i think it will be a better all round um, you know well rounded and more um, confident side in a couple of years once all of these little edges are you know sort of smoothed out sure now going forward the other revelation which i mean i don't think it took every one of us by surprise but to have it actually being laid out in a book that came as a surprise to me uh, we heard wasim akram was probably addicted to certain substances to be after playing career we hear so again any surprise at all or again not a huge surprise i would say you know i mean wasim akram is someone who's you know he's you know he he's he's a colorful character isn't he and uh he mm-hmm. spent a lot of time obviously playing i mean i don't know at which phase of his career this this or of which phase of his of his life this this kind I of think post career post career post career yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but you know he's he's obviously kind of well i think he lives in australia now for most for most of the time but you know he's ah. he's obviously um you know he played in lancashire in uh, county cricket for i think almost i don't know probably close to 10 years I, you know i know he has a a house in the uk so i guess what i'm trying mm-hmm. to say is you know he's he's obviously someone who's experienced kind of life uh in in all its um kind of uh, glory and inglory if you like all around the world so um mm-hmm. and also i would say you know just looking at things more generally sort of 
kind of athletes and being a sports person and also being addicted to something that it's actually quite a, I wouldn't say a common thing, but it, it, it does happen quite frequently. So, you know, you hear of, uh, particularly, you know, after the end of uh, you know someone's career. So you hear of lots of footballers, for example, who, you know, finished their careers in their thirties or, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, early, early forties, whenever who, or, you know, careers that have been cut short by injury or that, that, you know, they end up with certain addictions if it's not substances and, you know, it's alcohol or gambling, whatever it might be. And I think, you know, there's a, there's, there's obviously something very um, compatible in terms of, you know, how the mind of a sportsman works and, you know, addiction as well. I guess, you know, without, without <laughs> being too much of a psychologist about it, I guess <laughs> if, if you want to be really driven in your field as an athlete, then, you know, you've got to be really quite, you know, single-minded about things and, you know, you've got to be very uh, focused about things, but also quite selfish, I guess, in, in some ways. And so, yeah, I think there are some sort of compatible traits between someone who who is an, an addict and someone who is a, uh, a top-level sportsman. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's chasing those highs. We know yeah. that uh, once his playing career ended, you're still looking for that high, the high you get, for by winning a game or you know um sometimes uh, when you're trying to you know uh, get that winning feeling whether you want it or your team want it together you you probably are looking for that high end trying to sort of get it chemically is probably the closest yeah. you can try and at least money and those things might not be a problem so sometimes it's it's seen that people fall uh, into these sort of traps um and unfortunately you know it's mostly sports person very high highly successful sports persons that can uh, suffer this if you look at the american um, society this is more common uh, we don't hear much about this when it comes to cricketers uh, but it was very sad or very shocking to see that you know uh, akram could have uh, fallen into this trap as well but it's understandable where it comes from right so but we wish him all the best I, it looks like he's on the other side of it now and we wish him all the best mm-hmm. going forward as well right but it takes an enormous amount of guts to come out and say it. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, these things are out there in the open, but uh, never acknowledged. For him to actually come and acknowledge it outright, that takes a lot of guts. And I appreciate. Yeah. And I, I think I appreciate his guts when it comes yeah, to, definitely. to be able to as, do that. As you were saying, uh, you know, you, you hear about sort of the odd cricketer, but like you say, not many. Actually, you know, you hear, you know, I remember sort of Shane Warne famously was mm. you know had has it had his issues with i think both alcohol and um sort of certain substances but um yeah one good thing that might come out of this is that you know other cricketers who are affected by addiction might might also now feel that they are able to seek help and to sort of come forward and uh, and, and talk about things more openly Indeed. I mean, I think there is there's enough material that they're given, but it's a different thing to, uh, you know, hear about it and think about it uh, theoretically, but then to experience it firsthand. That's an entirely different kettle of fish. But as is, as you say, you know, we may hear more and more of this and uh, to hear that he's on the other side and, uh, you know, uh, we wish him all the best. Going further, you know, a couple of small uh, positives to finish on that, uh, you know, 
both BCC and ECB have uh, increased, um, let's say, their um, the salaries of the women's cricketers. Now, at least BCCI says that the match fees for both men and women's cricket will be the same. ECB has uh, put in uh, something that amounts to 3.5 million pounds uh, into women's cricket. So that means overall women's cricket will benefit women's cricketers of all types, be they playing in the, you know, the county uh, scene or be they playing in the hundred and so on. Everybody will actually benefit from this. So overall, this is a long audio uh, step, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, there's still, yeah, it's it's a very good sort of step in the right direction. I think there's still lots more that needs to be done to achieve sort of greater equality between uh, the men's game and the women's game. But this is certainly a good uh, kind of step in the right direction. I mean, I, I I'm not sure I know all the detail about this, but as I understand it, yeah, the match actually match fees. If you look at a cricketer's, you know, overall income or or revenue streams, actually doesn't. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it plays a huge um, kind of. Uh, you know, it's not a huge percentage. But that said, mm-hmm. it's still you know a, a, a step in the right direction. So yeah, it, it, it needs to be. Uh, uh, applauded for that. That that argument that women's cricket does not bring in the same amount of money, therefore, the the salaries of women cricketers need not be the same. Is it is a very regressive one, because um, it it absolutely makes no sense that you think of cricket players and cricketing entities also as purely from a business perspective. At the end, this is a sport, and you you don't count on. Sporting events and sporting people as just being, you know, assets that can earn or you don't just look to balance out a big sheet of earnings and spendings, you know. So for me, what sports brings is the additional benefit of giving everybody a hope, giving everybody a chance to show what they're made of. And that's the right way to go about it. But why do we have to even think of, um, you know, uh, the amount of um revenue that is generated by one form of cricket or another or one women's cricket versus another and that's a completely regressive uh, thought process for me it should have started out with both of both sort both cricketers getting the same pay and then you know there's always going to be differences in the contract structure i would like to see one day where contract structures are also the same but that might not be achievable right away and that i can understand so but uh, the I just think this this is how I think about it. Maybe I'm just being, I don't know, too old school or uh, something. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think uh, anything that can be done to achieve greater equality, like I say, between the games, yeah, we need to uh, kind of advance all of those um, things, really, as, uh, as much as possible. Absolutely. So those are all the talking points for today's podcast. Uh, so once again, thank you very much, Tohit, for taking time out of your uh, busy schedule and giving us your uh, you know valuable thoughts on the ongoing uh, events as well as games. So before we let you go, I would like to ask you if you have any any anything that you would like to plug, maybe some work that you are currently doing and so on. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm uh, yeah. So I've I've got a uh, a website where I'm always kind of updating posts and articles. So currently, yeah, 
kind of doing lots of stuff around the World Cup, in particular, kind of really deep diving into sort of Bangladesh's matches, trying to, yeah, they're not really match reports, they're more sort of kind of analysis pieces, I would say, really trying to draw out themes, some of the themes that I've spoken about earlier on uh in in this podcast so yeah do look out for those pieces the the website is sightscreencj.com and then yeah basically i've I've got a twitter feed everyone's on twitter aren't they and um Mm -hmm. yeah so uh any any sort of articles on my website or indeed you know i'm i freelance so i write for lots of other publications but i'll generally be promoting those on my twitter feed which is at sitescreen cj perfect and uh, we hope to have you sometime uh, on a podcast maybe in a couple of a uh, couple of episodes time brilliant thank you very much ajit i've enjoyed it so we wish all our listeners a great day wherever they may be listening from and from me and my co-host it's a goodbye This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast.